at the heart of everything we do is about deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Everything we do. And so would you not consider inviting someone to church next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, one of the most important days of the entire year? Won't you think about this moment? Isn't there a neighbor or a friend that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you remember the day before you accepted him? The pain, the loneliness. And now we have received that great gift. Won't you accept or won't you invite someone to come next Sunday? Our, our theme for next Sunday is what a difference a day makes. And everything we're going to do from positioning people into the parking lot to welcoming people, everything we do is about drawing them closer into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Won't you invite someone to come next week? We turn today to the Gospel of John, to the 12th chapter. <coughs> John 12, 12. Follow along on the screen behind me or in your copy of the Scriptures. May the Holy Spirit of God add his blessing to the reading of his word. John 12, 12 begins, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason, also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord our God, we thank you so much for the wonderful gift to come in freedom and in acceptance before you, our Lord and our Master. We remember, Father, who it is that we speak to, that you are the God of all creation. And in remembering, we are humbled by the majesty. We are truly in awe of you. There is no one like you. And we have come only because of the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we remember today. We pray humbly, Father, that through his sacrifice you would forgive us of our sins, the ways that we have failed you this week. Bring to our mind those ways so that we might repent, turn away, be forgiven and cleansed, and come in freedom and strength into your presence to know your will. Be with us. Open your holy word today. Breathe through these words. As always, I confess there is nothing good that can come of this moment unless your Holy Spirit comes. 
So come, Holy Spirit. Breathe and renew us so that we might be vessels that are worthy to be servants of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever said to yourself something like, if I only knew then what I know now? Have you ever said that? Just kind of raise your hand. Just make, make sure you're out there. If I only knew then what I knew now. I've said it probably a hundred times. If you're like me and you say it, you probably say it with a sigh, with a little shake of your head, a little frustration. Oh, if I only knew then what I knew now, I would have paid more attention in math class. I swear that's the truth for me. If I only knew then, then I would have made better decisions. I would have made healthier choices. I would have paid more attention. I would have been kinder to those around me. My life may have turned out far differently if I only knew then what I know now. You know, I hear a little bit of that tone, a little bit of that idea in the words of the Apostle John. Listen again to verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. That was the phrase that jumped off the page this week to me. And they had done these things to him. I, I hear a lot of regret in those words. Not only if I knew then, but also maybe a little bit of, well, I should have known. We should have known. Because the truth is, all of the signs were there. One of the Apostle John's favorite words in the Gospel of John is the word sign. In Greek, it is the word simeon. And what it means is it is a miraculous signal. It is a mark or a point or a sign to the true identity of Jesus. 17 times, just in the Gospel of John, he uses that word simeon, sign. Look, who Jesus really is. And the signs were abundant, and the signs were clear. We remember that Jesus came during the Passover, commemorating the great exodus from Egypt and out of slavery. And we remember the time when the blood of a lamb was put on the doorpost of every believer's house so that death would pass over their home. And we now look in hindsight and 2020 vision and understand that Jesus became the perfect Lamb of God. And His blood enabled us to escape the slavery of sin and eternal death, and now they pass over us. I wondered this week if I was standing in the crowd, if I was watching Jesus ride in, would I have put those things together? The prophecies, all of the signs that were there. The truth is, I had to come to the conclusion, probably not. I wouldn't have put those two things together. But then again, there is so much more. In verse 13, it says they waved palm branches in the air. You, you see, that was the sign. We all know that. I got smacked with one of these very palm branches this morning. We were waving them. Why? Because it's the idea of paying great homage and respect to a conquering hero. All of the Israelites would have had a vision in their head. They would have understood what that meant. They probably would have thought of a man named Simon Maccabee. Maybe some of you know that. It's from the book of Maccabees, a, a, a document that's written in between the Old and the New Testament. 
It says this of, of Simon, and he, Simon, entered with thanksgiving and branches of a palm tree and with harps and cymbals and vials and hymns and songs because there was destroyed a great enemy out of Israel. And so that was the image that the Israelites were looking for, of a conquering hero that cast out a great enemy. And the truth was that Jesus fulfilled all of those things, just not the enemy that they were thinking. And of course they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, in, in, in Hebrew, it's the word hoshiana, and, and it's an interesting word because we kind of say it as a request, but it, it's more than a request. It's like, do save us. You must save us. It's an imperative, imperative form. That means it's a, almost a command. Hosanna, save us. Do they get it at that moment? Are they putting the pieces together, all of the signs that point to the true identity of Jesus? They add on, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Oh, can you almost hear the words echo off the walls? What a celebration it must have been. And those words would have been so clearly known to everyone in that age. It was from Psalm 118, verse 26. It was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a reference to the long-expected Savior, the Messiah, God's anointed, His chosen. And even His name speaks of a sign. His name is Jesus, the name which is above all names. In Hebrew, it is Yeshua, and it means Savior or Deliverer. His very name points to who He is. For some, it must have confused them to see Jesus riding in on a donkey. You see, that wasn't the, the typical way a conquering hero would come in. A horse or a stallion would have been more appropriate. But you see, the more mature, the ones that had been in synagogue longer, in temple the longest, they would have understood that that came from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is in just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And there is the image. There is the fulfillment of Zechariah and all of the pieces, all of the signs that they should have seen that pointed to the true identity of Jesus. The signs were everywhere. And you see, we haven't even talked about all of the Incredible miracles that Jesus performed. The most important miracle of all. What would you consider it to be to this point? Certainly that Jesus has conquered death. He, he, he raised Lazarus from the grave. And if all of the signs weren't enough, consider the times that he sat with his disciples, the ones closest to him, and simply told them in great detail what was going to occur. If I only knew then what I knew now, but a little bit also of, you know, we should have known. They didn't. And if that's not bad enough, not only did they miss all the signs, but it wasn't long before they turned into a bloodthirsty mob. 
In Matthew, we find the words that are even more hateful and destructive. Matthew 27 says, and he said, why? What, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him, just hours apart. Hosanna, do please save. You must save us. Palm branches in the air. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Taking off their cloaks and laying it before him. But just hours later, crying out, crucify him. Kill him. We choose Barabbas, a thief. Crucify him. Kill him. If I only knew then what I know now, we should have known. But you see, Jesus wasn't the convenient Savior that they wanted. And above all, I think that's what troubles me the most about Palm Sunday. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, surrounded by an adoring crowd, he can look into the eyes of each one who cried out, Hosanna! Hosanna! And know that just hours later, their voices would be completely different. When my boys were much younger, maybe you've had this experience too, one of them would break something, they'd get into some kind of trouble, and I had one, especially the youngest one, oh my soul, he could make up a story. And you know, it wasn't just a necessary story, he would just really blow a story up, you know, he, he was talented. And he would tell us this incredible story, and Sandy and I would just listen, and we knew what had really happened, how that lamp had gotten broken, but the story would just increase and all the time we would just look into their eyes knowing that the rest of the story would come out in just a moment. And Jesus could see into their eyes and still he came. Such love. Jesus watched and listened. I, I wonder if he smiled and enjoyed the moment. I wonder if he was just thinking about how quickly it would change. But still he came. What does this mean to us on Palm Sunday? This last Sunday of Lent, the season of denial and introspection. You see, the, the easiest thing to do is to kind of consider what happened and cluck our tongues and shake our heads at the Jews and, and the Pharisees. And we could mutter to ourselves, you know, how could they have been so blind? How could they turn on him so quickly? They denied him. They ran away from him. How selfish and how cowardly. And, and the truth is, I've done some clucking myself over the years. And I have to confess, it really isn't all that useful. And honestly, it just gives me pause to wonder what I would have done if I was standing in that crowd. What does it all mean to us on Palm Sunday, this 
last Sunday of Lent, well, we could focus just on the celebration of Palm Sunday, the, the pageantry and the ceremony. We could enjoy a celebration because everyone enjoys a celebration. But you see, I don't believe that that's the purpose of this passage. Don't get me wrong. I love a celebration, and a celebration is coming. But we can't truly embrace fully the celebration until we stood on the side of the road to Jerusalem, along with all the many others that have come before, and ask ourselves the question, how would I have responded? You know, that's not the right question. Here's the right question. How am I responding now to the Messiah? Hosanna. Jesus, Messiah, Savior, kill him, crucify him, Barabbas, we choose a thief. How is that possible that they turn so quickly? Because I think what they're really saying on the side of the road to Jerusalem is this, if you meet our needs, if you meet our expectations and our demands, Lord Jesus, then we are fine, we will celebrate you, but if you don't meet our expectations, our needs, then we are through. One of the saddest moments I've ever had in mystery, ministry was several years ago a man seemed to fall away from the church and you know I went to go and visit him at his workplace just to ask him what was going on if he was okay and from the very first moment I could look into his eyes and see that he was angry and I asked him what's, what's going on and he didn't really want to tell me at first. And then, he, and then he said this, and it just came out. And I can tell you this, that I have rarely ever seen such anger in a man's eyes. He said, you know what? For a long time, my daughter has been trying to get into a certain school, a doctoral program. And we've prayed, and we've prayed for that moment. And with this anger, almost rage in his eyes. He said, we've prayed and prayed, and she didn't get accepted. And so I told God, we're through. And I thought to myself, first, what a terrifying position to put yourself into. But isn't that exactly what the Israelites were doing, if you meet our needs, if you meet our expectations, then we're fine. We'll celebrate you. But if you fall short of our expectations, then we're done. And what a terrifying thing to say. A little bit lighter. I mean, have you ever heard anyone say, well, when I get to heaven... There's just a few things that I'm going to ask God about when I get there. As if I'm dissatisfied with the way things, he's running things, and I've just got a few questions that I'm going to ask him. One of the students, one of my fellow seminary students said that one morning in a theology class, and I'll never forget what the, the professor said. He said, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be the guy in the back 
on my face worshiping Jesus. And if he wants to ask me any questions, then I will come with great humility and thankfulness that I am even there by the grace and the gift of Jesus Christ. If you meet our expectations and our demands, Lord Jesus, then, then we're fine. But the prophet Isaiah responds, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as an equal with the clay? Isaiah 45, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Isaiah 64, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hands. And brothers and sisters, if you don't hear anything else today, I'm not a lot less concerned about my expectations for God, who is holy and perfect, rather than his expectations for me. Oh no, he is the potter and we are the clay. He is the master and I am the slave and I'm not afraid or ashamed to say the word slave. I am a slave of the king and thankful and honored to be so. And at the very heart of this passage for me is the question, are we more concerned about our expectations of him or are we more concerned about his expectations for us and faithfully being obedient to the great gift of calling to be his servant. And I know that's a terribly kind of unpopular, uncultural kind of question, but I think it's biblical. And so could we put aside our expectations for a moment on this Palm Sunday and rather just ask questions, Jesus, what signs are you giving to me today? Are we listening? I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that one that shouts glory one day and then just a few hours later is behaving in a completely different way. I don't want that for the, for the church. Rather, a consistent voice of obedience, love, awe, I don't want to be if I only knew then what I know now, because you know what? We do know now. We have the full revelations of God's holy scriptures. We have the Spirit of God who lives within us to guide and to teach and to correct and empower. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We are members of the body of Christ who God speaks through he teaches and guides and corrects and directs. We have no excuse. Are we looking, looking and listening to the signs? Not blinded by our own expectations, but listening and watching for his guiding hand. Could I just ask you this morning, listen, how has the Spirit of God spoken to you recently? What sign has he laid upon your heart? What coincidence seems too much of a coincidence to be chance, but rather you have a suspicion that it is a word from the Lord? And if you're sitting here this morning and, you know, I ask the question, how has the Spirit of God spoken to you? And you kind of think back over your life, well, he really hasn't spoken to me. I am concerned then that we're not listening 
because he desires you so much that he would give his son to have that ongoing, loving, intimate relationship with you. On Sunday nights, we have been studying uh, different great stories out of the Old Testament. We recently studied about Eli and Samuel, and Samuel was concerned because God had a word for him. And he woke him up out of his sleep, and Samuel ran to Eli. Eli said, I've said nothing. He did that three times, and finally Samuel understood that it was God who was speaking to Eli, to to Samuel, that God was speaking to Samuel. And he said, go back, and if the voice speaks to you again, answer, speak, for your servant is listening. And I think what a powerful word that is, speak, for your servant is listening, taking away all of our expectations, all of our desires that, frankly, our Lord has promised that he would meet if we seek him first. And just prayed that prayer. Speak to me today, Lord. If you have something to say, speak, because your servant is listening. If you have a a fresh word for me, please speak. I'm open. I'm willing to obey. You are the potter, and I am the clay. You are the master. I am your servant. May we set aside our expectations and be much more focused on his expectations, which may very well begin with a simple prayer. Speak, because your servant is listening. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity, this incredible gift to come into the presence of the King. I ask, Father, as we prepare our hearts in obedience to come to the Lord's table, that again, if there is unconfessed sin in our hearts, Lord, that you would bring it to our minds so that we might repent and be cleansed. If we have broken relationships between brother and sister here today, help us to repent, to seek healing so that we might come to your table. If we have been more concerned about our concerns than your expectations of us, forgive us. And as we prepare our hearts, may each one of us pray, Holy Father, by the power of your Spirit, speak to us. We are listening and ready to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen.